We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. How many of you saw the solar eclipse yesterday? Three people. Cool. Yeah, some of you are like, wait, what? There was a... That's how I felt too. So I got up. I had to go deliver some coffee for Cultivate to one of our wholesale accounts. And then I had to, unfortunately, head to a funeral service after that for one of my old high school wrestling coaches. And so I got up and I was getting ready in the house. I was in the house most of the morning. And then I went to go leave. And as soon as I walked out the door, I was like, oh, it's, it's like still dark out. And it was like nine in the morning already. I was like, oh, it's pretty dark out. But then I noticed like there's no clouds. So I was like, it's not overcast. That's weird. Huh. And I just get in my truck. I didn't think about it at all. And when I got to our client, I dropped off the coffee. And as soon as I walk in the door, they're like, hey, did you see the eclipse? And I was like, ah, that explains it. Okay. And so they gave me like the glasses and everything. They're like, just stop everything you're doing. Take these glasses and go outside and look at it. So I went and I got to see the eclipse at like, it's a really cool moment where it just was like they call it the ring of fire, you know? Um, so it was just, it was awesome. It was interesting about that. It was like, I saw the shadow that it was casting over the whole earth, <laughs> you know, when I walked out, but I didn't really see the thing yet. And in fact, you can't look directly at it because it'll damage your eyes. Like you could go blind. And so that's why they have those special little glasses that remind me of going and seeing a 3D movie, you know? And so it just kind of like made me think about this with Hebrews. Like that is what's going on. And that's what the author of Hebrews has been talking about uh, in the last few sections that we've been going through. In fact, for the last couple chapters, really. Uh, And this section is no different. The first half of chapter 10, verses 1 through 18, that we're covering today are really kind of the conclusion, the wrapping up of what we've been talking about for a few weeks now. And I was like, oh, man. do I really want to like just hit repeat again for this? You know? And so I had a few different options. And don't worry, we're not going to completely repeat. But I do think it's important to look at that wrap-up real quick. That that's what he's been saying. He's been saying everything that has come before Jesus has been like a shadow to let you see that there is something else coming that's better and greater. And in Colossians 2.17, Paul writes a very similar thing where he says, he's talking about all the rituals from before, all the sacrifices from before, all the ways that you would make yourself clean in the temple from before, all the food laws that you had to do, all that stuff. He says, those things were but shadows, but Christ is the substance. And there was a time where it was like you could not look directly at God. Like when Moses went up the mountain to go have this interaction with God himself. He said, you can't look at my face, right? So he allowed him to see the back of him. And even that was like, it made like Moses' face shine and just glow radiant. So there was a time where it was like, no, you can't, because of this separation between us and God, we can't even look upon him. But he was so gracious to still give us these shadows. And Jesus comes and he be, he's the fullness of God, but now in a human body, doing everything that humans needed to do to be made clean and right before God, and doing it perfectly, and then sacrificing his own life, and then overcoming death so that now 
we can actually, it's like we put those glasses on and we can look at the full radiance of God through Jesus. There was a curtain in the temple that was torn between what separated them from the holy presence of God and their sinful selves. That tore when Jesus died. So now there's access. Like we can actually look upon the great, glorious, radiant, wonderful, amazing creator of all things who is perfect in all he does, even though we're sinful still, because Jesus has made a way. All the things before were nice, they were good, but they were just a shadow. Jesus has been the substance. And one of the analogies we used earlier on going through as we started the book of Hebrews was like, when you go to a Mexican restaurant and you're like, man, it's, it's not like saying, I love this place, but oh, I found a better restaurant now. Like ditch that one, get away from it. We're gonna go try this place now. That's not what's happening between New Testament and Old Testament. That's not what's happening between Jesus and the ways of the law before. Instead, it's kind of more like you go to this restaurant and you're like, man, these chips and salsa are amazing. Wait until the main course comes. Wait until you get that carne asada. It's gonna blow your mind, right? It's the completion of the meal. It's the fullness of it. And so the things that happened before through the law, what God gave to Moses for the people to follow, that was like the appetizer. That was pointing you toward what was better and yet to come, the thing that would make it full and complete. And that's happened through Jesus. And so we've seen that over the last few weeks. And chapter 10 continues the the first 18 verses, it continues to kind of wrap up that idea and that conclusion. But I didn't want to just go through the same message again, right? Sometimes you guys just get tired of hearing my voice over and over again, but especially when I'm saying the same thing week after week, right? So I was like, man, at least I could have got like someone else to come up here and preach it. You'd hear it from a different voice. So that was an option. I had an option too of like, well, what if we just like ditched Hebrews for one week only, and we went to something else, right? And I was looking at James. Uh, so that was an option. And then there was the option of like, well, what if we just like maybe find one thing in, in 10, 1 through 18 that God wants to say to us today? And that was an option. And I think what we're going to do is do all those things, except for the outside voice. You guys still have to listen to my voice. And it's going to fail today at some point in this sermon too. So that's fun. So we're going to do all those other things, right? We're going, to, we're going to pull in a few things. And what I want to do is I want to focus on, because something really just kind of hit me as I was sitting in this text all week long. There's something that kind of was astounding to me, actually. Uh, and it was found in verses, the, it's the part that Lexi read for us this morning, but specifically in verses five through seven. We'll zoom in there. And so the author of Hebrews said this, that as Jesus was coming into the world, like think about that. As he's coming into the world, he says, now Jesus was born as a baby, right? I was just holding little Darcy earlier. She, she's not talking to me, right? Like she can't do that yet. She hasn't learned how to do that. Jesus became fully human and he went through all those things. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to talk. He had to have people change his diapers, like all that stuff. He made himself the humility of a human. 
but he is fully God. He is one with God. He is the radiance of God himself that we can now look upon. And as he was coming into this world, making his way into the fragility of a tiny little infant, he says this, you did not desire sacrifice and offering, speaking to his father, the Lord, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. And then I said, see, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. God did not desire sacrifices. But wait a second. Those were happening in the Old Testament. Those were the shadow pointing toward, right? It's interesting. I went to this funeral yesterday. It was a Catholic funeral at a Catholic church. And I didn't know I was getting there super early because there were two parts. There was the funeral, but there was the, what I thought was the start time for everything was praying the rosary. And so I got there and I was like, all right, well, I'll come and join that because I'm here, right? And so Uh, We went through the praying of the rosary, and I don't know how many of you have have done that or are familiar with that at all. Here's the thing. I'm not going to knock, like, there's some really beautiful things that I encountered through this Catholic funeral, Uh, some things that I think really do point to Christ, right? There are some other things. Hebrews was in the back of my head going like, man, like during, during the funeral service, they did communion, and they literally gave sacrifices in order for the communion, for them to be ready to take it. And I was like, like, we just read, God doesn't desire those sacrifices from us, right? And as we were like praying through the rosary earlier on that, there's like a few prayers. What you do is like you, you move through the beads that remind you what the next part is. And uh, I didn't have any beads in my hand, but you pray like the Lord's prayer, right? And then you pray uh, another prayer that's really beautiful. And then you pray the Hail Mary prayer. And that one is on repeat throughout the whole thing. So the whole thing took 30 minutes, the prayer. And we prayed the Hail Mary prayer probably like 50 times. Because you pray it three times in a row, then you move on to the next step, then you go back to it 10 times in a row, go to the next step, go back to it 10 times in a row. And so we did that more than 50 times. And I was thinking like, man, like, these other prayers are so beautiful to, to the Lord. But we're spending more time praying to a person. And so that kind of broke my heart a little bit because what I was seeing was like, there's this, there's this shadow. Like Mary was a faithful woman, a faithful young girl who in a very scary situation chose to trust God. And then because of that, she got to become the mother of the Lord. That blows me away. I don't fully understand it, but she did, and that's incredible, right? But she was preparing a way, just like John the Baptist, who we also don't pray to. She was pointing toward the one who would come and be the substance, the fullness of things that we need and desire. And so, and I bring all this up, not again, not to throw shade on another, uh, another tradition or religion, I bring this up because actually right now we're in this cultural moment where a lot of Christians and a lot of people who are coming to church even for the first time are kind of desiring these more traditional ways of doing things. They're desiring these more religious and uh, what's called high church often, these more liturgical and traditional ways of doing things. We even do some of that here, right? Like some of you are like, why do we keep 
praying that prayer over and over again in our confession, right? Uh, and, and I think there's a reason people are desiring and longing after that because for a time, the American church just completely did away with what the church had done for centuries. And we just made it very just like loosey-goosey, like chill, whatever you want to do, you know, and just show up and just pray whatever comes to your mind in the moment. And there's some good to that too. Uh, but I think in the meantime, we lost some reverence, which we got back when you guys all quieted down <laughs> before I even had to say anything. So thanks for bringing that back. But we did, we, we, we lost some reverence. So I think there's a desire. People are longing for that. And I just want to bring this up right now to say, in the, if there's things about that that help you see Jesus more clearly, yes and amen. If there are things that are pointing you to Jesus that are going to help you to encounter the real, true, living God, then that's fantastic. But when it's going back to the shadow of things and losing the substance, when it's going back to sacrifices, when the sacrifice has already been made once and for all, then that's a danger. And you are losing not just something, but the thing that you need for life and salvation. And so I I, I read this and I go, like God didn't actually want those sacrifices to be the thing that would bring people back to him. They were just pointing people towards something that was going to come and be what we needed. And so what's interesting about this is this is not just what the author of Hebrews is saying he thinks maybe Jesus might have said when he was coming into the world. What he's doing is he's actually quoting from the Old Testament, from Psalm. It's in uh, Psalm 40. And it's verses six through eight. And so we'll read that up here. And David was the author of the psalm. He was a psalmist. And he wrote this down through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And you'll notice that there's some slight differences there, right? But he said this. He said to God, you do not delight in sacrifice and offering. You open my ears to listen. So catch that. If if you go back to Hebrews, you can leave that on the screen. That's fine. The Hebrews version says, you did not desire sacrifice and offering. You prepared a body for me. Now, there's two different translations of that. Both of them could be accurate. (laughs) One comes from the Masoretic text. One comes from the Septuagint. You don't need to know what those mean. That's fine. Two different ways of translating from the original Hebrew language into the Greek, which is what they spoke at the time of Hebrews. And the author of Hebrews deliberately chose, because what that actually says is you carved out for my ear. You you carved out in my body an ear for me to listen, which is a really strange way of saying things, right? And so we get that translated to like, you opened my ears to listen. And the author of Hebrews says, no, what that kind of reminds us of is God forming the first man out of the dirt and mud from the ground and like carving into it to create the shape of a man, right? And so to carve out for the ear in this lump of dirt, what he's saying is you made, you made a body. You fashioned a whole body for me. And so the author of Hebrews deliberately chooses that translation because he's saying this is actually pointing us to Jesus who took on a body in our place. And so going on from there, he says, you open my ears to listen, you do not ask for a whole burnt offering or sin offering. And then I said, see, I have come. In the scroll it is written about me. 
I delight to do your will, my God, and your instruction is deep within me. David's writing this at a time when they did have to do sacrifices, when they were making offerings. But he's recognizing that the heart of God is something deeper, that what God really desires is not that we would make a sacrifice on our own behalf, because he knows that that's not going to do it. It's not going to cut it. And what God really desires is that we would be one with him, that we would be in his presence, that we would become what we were created when he first carved out that body to be, reflections of him, image bearers, living, breathing statues that look like him and show the rest of creation what our good creator's like. That's what God desires. And he knows that any sacrifice we make on our end is not going to be enough to get us back there. So even then, while that sacrificial system was in place, God desired something more. And I want to kind of talk about what that word desire means for a little bit. Because in this, in, in both of these, both in the Psalm and in Hebrews, it brings up two words. It says, you did not desire sacrifice and offering. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings. And I want to talk about those two words right there, desire and delight. Because on the surface, they both sound like the same word, right? Like they're getting the same idea across, desire and delight. But actually, if you really think about it, what desire means is that you are wanting something that you don't yet have, right? You're longing after something that you don't yet have. After using that Mexican restaurant analogy, I am desiring a carne asada burrito right now. I don't have one in front of me. I may go get one after this, right? Because I desire that. But when I have it, and when I'm eating lunch later, I'm going to delight in it. See the difference? Because you can delight in what is right there in front of you, available to you, given to you. You have it. When you don't have it, you desire for it. Now, both of those words could be used in the positive or the negative. You can choose to delight in something that is not good. Or you could find real delight in what is good. You could desire for the things of God, for what is good, and pleasing. Or don't we also have twisted desires? That's what James says. In fact, uh, we can throw that one up on the screen too. In James 1, oh, I hit the foot tambourine. We're going to get musical here. In James 1, verses 14 through 16, and what I love about going to James right now is we talked about this when we first started Hebrews. Hebrews is all about faith in the better Jesus, right? And then James comes right after it in our canon. And it's all about, now here's how you live that out, putting your faith into action. And a lot of people, if they just read James, they think that our faith is all about doing things. But we hold those together because of what Jesus has done for us. We can now live in this way. And it all stems from what we're desiring. And that's what James is getting at here. Verses 14 through 16, he says this, each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. 
Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. What he's saying there is this. Don't be deceived. What you desire can actually be found and met fully in God alone. The thing that you really desire, what your desire is pointing you toward a need, that need is only met in God. He says, but when we twist those desires, we are led away. We turn away from what is good to delight in. And that path leads us to destruction and death. That word for desire, the original Hebrew word, actually, that then the Greek word comes close to translating to as well. The Greek word, by the way, is apostrophe. So that's a little, it has nothing to do with the sermon. It's a little random fact. Apostrophe, I was like, that's a punctuation mark. It actually comes from a Greek word, which means to turn. It means to turn. And that was what the Hebrew word meant also that we get desire from in our translations to turn. When you want something, what do you do? You go after it. You turn toward it. You look to it. And what James is saying is, be careful not to turn away from what is good and right and beautiful in our God and turn towards something that will actually lead you to destruction and death. And that is exactly what happened in the garden, isn't it? In the garden, these same two words are actually used. I don't think I put it up on the screen, Raya. So sorry to throw you off here, but I'll read it for you guys. If we go to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, you guys know the story. God created man, then out of the sight of the man, he created a woman, a helper suitable for him. They were one flesh yet two distinct individual people representing what God's like. And God said, it's very good now. And they had a task to care for and cultivate all of creation. And then a slithering serpent crept into the garden and started whispering lies to them. Hey, you don't, you don't need God. You don't need God to tell you what's right and wrong. Grab from this tree and eat this fruit that will give you the ability to tell what's right and wrong for yourself. Oh, but God told us not to eat from him. Yeah, yeah, but God just doesn't want you to be like him, even though they were made in God's image by God. So he's lying to them to get them to desire something that they actually already have access to and could delight in. And listen to this. In chapter three, this is what it says. In verse five, the serpent says, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse six, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. Were they allowed to look at it? It was right there in the center of the garden, probably right next to the tree of life that they absolutely were to eat from. Like she, when she tells the serpent, no, 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 we can't eat it and we can't even touch it. That was a twisting of what God said. God just said, just don't eat from it. But they had to tend to the garden, so they would have had to have tended to that tree as well. 
and they absolutely could look at it. It was available for them to find delight in the eyes. So that part's good. Delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she now desires this thing she hasn't had yet. They could look at it, but they haven't yet eaten from it. And so now there's this desire. If I eat from it, is it going to make me like God where I don't need God anymore? Is it going to give me the ability to know right from wrong all on my own? Now, this desire to know what's right and wrong, what's good and evil, is not a bad desire in itself. God would come down in the cool of the day and walk and talk with them in the garden, and he would show them what his world is like. God was the one who knew good from evil, and he would teach it to his humans, to his representatives. The temptation there is to say, cut out the middleman. We don't need God to know what's good and evil. The desire is I can do this all on my own. So the desire to know good and evil is not bad. But when you twist that desire and say, I'll get it from this source instead of the one who created me, instead of the one who really knows what's good and not good, instead of the one who has given me the best way to live, now that desire is twisted and it'll turn you away and lead you toward destruction and death. And so the whole book of the Bible, I believe, is about this. The whole story of the world that we live in, I believe, comes down to this. We have been placed, do you know, by the way, that's what, that's what the word for garden means, delight, and the word Eden is another variation of that word, delight. They were placed in delight, given everything they needed or could ever want. We, too, though the world is broken now, we have access because of Jesus to full delight in God and to full delight even in his good world, though broken. Yet, we have lies whispered to us every single day to try to twist our desire instead of seeking delight in God that is available to us to try to chase after something else, some other source that would meet that need on our behalf. And that's why our sacrifices and our offerings could never bring us close to God. And so what God desired was not our sacrifices and offerings, but for him to come and make that happen on our behalf. Listen to this. Psalm 37, verse four. I think I do have on the screen there for us. This is encouraging us in this very thing. This is the message of scripture. This is the message of God to us through Jesus. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. When you actually go and find your delight and your joy rejoicing in God, and that's a choice, by the way. I have these conversations with my kids sometimes because we, we talk about making a choice to not focus on what's bad and making choices. And usually one of my sons will give me this pushback of like, well, I can't just decide to be happy, dad. <laughs> and he's right. I'm not talking about happiness. You can choose to focus on the good that you have in God and delight in that, even in the midst of suffering and sorrow, 
even in the midst of brokenness in our world, we can choose to find delight in the God who made this world good and is one day going to restore it back to the fullness of goodness and desires for us to live with him in it. Listen to this. Zephaniah 3.17 says this. This is God's desire. The Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you. Listen, what if God said, I can't just choose to be happy and rejoice over these people? Look at them. Look how selfish they are. Look at the wars and the violence breaking out. But God chooses to rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. Another translation of that is he will renew you in his love and he will delight in you with singing. Your God sings over you. He delights in you. And his desire is that you would delight in him. And that's why Jesus said, you didn't delight in those old sacrifices. Instead, you gave me a body that I could come and be that sacrifice because your desire, God, is that you would be with your people. That's what he said to Israel in the beginning. I will be your God, you will be my people. And Jesus has opened that up to all the nations that we too now get to enter into what God delights in and what God desires. Us being with him and us being made whole. And so Jesus's desire is the same as the Father's. And in Hebrews 12 too, let me throw that up here next. It tells us this. That Jesus, for the joy that lay before him, he didn't have it yet. Catch that. So that's desire, right? Delight is delighting in what you already have. Desire is longing for something you want. For the joy set before him, he didn't have it yet. What does Jesus not have? The king of the universe, right? He endured the cross. Didn't delight in it, he endured it. Despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The one thing that Jesus came in this body for was to fulfill the desires of God, to be one with his people. The joy set before Jesus was that through his death and resurrection, you and I would be able to follow him into eternal life and unity with God. This is what Jesus desires of you. And when we recognize that, when we truly start to get a glimpse of that reality, that Jesus desired to be with us so much, he gave his life. He went through torture and murder in the grave. That God the Father has desired to be with us so much that all throughout history, he has been patient in putting up with the people who are so selfish. When we grasp that for just a moment, We can delight in a good God. We can choose to delight in a God who loves us that much, even when things are going wrong around us. And when we delight in that God, God will then start to meet the actual desires of your heart. So the things that you're going to, to try to find satisfaction and joy that aren't working, they're actually pointing you to a deeper desire within your heart. And God knows what those are. And when you delight in him, he will meet the root of those desires. And you won't need to look to food, 
or phone screens or other humans or the things that you do when people aren't looking. Because God, who formed you, carved out your ears to listen to him, and he formed your heart in the womb, he knows the desires in your heart, what they really are, and they are met when we delight in him. Amen? I really do believe this is what the whole story of scripture is, not just Hebrews. And so I might be a broken record every week because we'll keep talking about this. We'll try to find different words to get the message across, sure. But this is it, you guys. Everything our hearts long for, they are found in Jesus. You will be a whole person the more and more you delight in him. Let's pray.